Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and on Thursdays, I host Indivisible from Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Tonight, we're opening the show with this developing story over meetings that Attorney General Jeff Sessions had with the Russian ambassador during the presidential campaign. Much of the controversy centers on what Senator Sessions said during his confirmation hearings when Minnesota Senator Al Franken asked him if he'd had any contact with Russian officials Senator Sessions said no, and that was incorrect. Sessions met twice with the Russian ambassador, and late today, the attorney general held a hastily scheduled press conference and said he would recuse himself from the Justice Department investigations. He added that he had misunderstood what Senator Franken was asking. Let me be clear. I never had meetings with Russian operatives or Russian intermediaries about the Trump campaign. And the idea that I was part of a, quote, continuing exchange of information during the campaign between Trump surrogates and intermediaries for the Russian government is totally false. Um, That is the question that Senator Franken asked me uh, at the hearing. And that's what got my attention as he noticed it, noted it was uh, the first It's just breaking news. And it got my attention. And that is the question I responded to. But Senator Al Franken told me late today that while he does not agree with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer that the attorney general should resign now, he believes that Sessions should come back before the Senate Judiciary Committee to answer more questions. Well, I've sent him a letter today, earlier today, and um, waiting to get the answer, which I asked him to to submit by the end of business day tomorrow, asking him a number of of questions. And one of those is, why did you not um, correct the record in the last seven weeks? Why did you wait for, uh, you know, till the Washington Post broke the story that you did that? I didn't ask him in the letter because I wrote the letter out before the, uh, before the, press conference, but it seems like something of a coincidence that he's claiming that uh, this determination of whether he should recuse himself on these matters, uh, that uh, today was the day that this was decided. Do you think that the answers that he's given at this press conference and the questions that remain from you disqualify him from leading the Justice Department? I don't want to make that assessment right now. I want to talk to my colleagues about this. I also think that we should consider bringing him back before the committee because the press conference, he answered about four questions, and that was it. What so else? I want to see what the letter is tomorrow, what, he, what his response to that is. I would have liked to have heard some 
answers from him in his office that were a little bit more consistent. Uh, the uh, member, we didn't hear anything about this meeting with the ambassador until it was broken by the Washington Post last night. Then uh, this morning, we heard from his office that he did meet with the ambassador but didn't recall what they talked about. Then the next thing we heard from him was that they didn't talk about the campaign. Now, I don't know. If he doesn't recall what they talked about, I don't know how he actually does recall that he didn't talk about the campaign. So that I would like to ask him. And I wonder what he, whether he talked about sanctions and whether he talked about things that were not about the campaign but about what a President Trump would do um, with Russia, how, uh, you know, that during the campaign, uh, then candidate camp, uh, Trump said lots of nice things about Vladimir Putin and said he was a great leader and said, you know, complimented him on what they were doing in Syria, uh, denied that they had gone into Crimea, uh, Crimea for some reason, um, basically threatened our NATO allies. All these things were um, very odd. And, um, you know, I think the investigation that we're going to have to have, and I'm glad he recused himself, I really am, um, you know, are going to have to look into these things and, and see, because this is a very, very serious thing. Your office put out a statement today with a headline that reads, Senator Franken to Attorney General Sessions. If you lied under oath to American public in Congress, you need to resign. Is your mind still open to the question as to whether he did actually lie under oath? You don't know the answer to that at the moment? No. Whether you lie is whether you're knowingly saying something that isn't true. And um, I'd like to try to determine that. There may be no way to know for certain, but I need to know a little bit more information before I make that determination. I think to be one, to be fair to him, but to be fair to the American people and the people of Minnesota. Senator, um, you know that Senator Schumer and uh, House Minority Leader Pelosi and a number of other Democratic congressional leaders have called on the attorney general to resign. Are you saying that you think they have been too hasty in those calls for his resignation? They made their judgments. Um, You know, I'm going to make mine. We don't decide these things in lockstep. I'm not going to criticize them for, for uh, you know, coming to that conclusion. But I'm going to wait till I hear more from him. I'm going to wait till I, hear, I get the answer to my letter. But there was a reason that I said today that I call that I called on him again to recuse himself and, and did not call for his resignation. Again, Minnesota Senator Al Franken saying he does not yet agree with calls for Attorney General Sessions to resign. He wants to hear more at the committee hearing from the Attorney General. I'm Carrie Miller. You're listening to Indivisible. It's a partnership between WNYC in New York and Minnesota Public Radio. Each Thursday, I'm taking a look at how polarization is influencing our perception of who we are and what we stand for 
and the effect that it's having on American identity. On our first Indivisible show on January 26th, we talked about why demonizing people who voted for the other candidate is unfair and counterproductive, and why making stereotypical assumptions about your fellow Americans can be really destructive. And you said some enlightening things about that. So I am the wife of an undocumented person, and I'm also a Christian. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a crazy amount of backlash because I voted for Hillary Clinton. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the military, voted for Hillary. I'm a white female and with a graduate degree, and I'm one of those people that I felt like I couldn't really talk about the fact that I voted for Trump. Those of us who were not in support of Trump have to remain quiet because they'll assume we're heretics, they'll assume we're wow. abortion-loving, left-leaning, crazy people who not follow the doctrine of the church. So tonight, the next step, because just tolerating someone else's opinion isn't really enough. Our democracy thrives when different voters' views are heard, listened to, and respected. A project called Better Angels is trying to do that. We're going to explain how it works. But I'd like you to think about this. If you were face-to-face in calm conversation with a Trump supporter or a Clinton supporter, What is the primary question that you'd ask and genuinely want to hear the answer to? Because that's the key. You're not just throwing out ambush questions. You're asking a question you genuinely want to hear the answer to. Because once you ask, you have to listen to the answer. So I'd like you to think about that. Here's the phone number, 844-745-8255, 844-745-TALK. And tweet me, at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, hashtag Indivisible Radio. Our guest, Bill Doherty, is a professor of social science at the University of Minnesota. He's a family therapist. He's the author of a number of books, including Take Back Your Marriage. And he joins me in the studio. Bill, welcome. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. In a few minutes, we're going to be hearing from two of the better angels themselves who took part in the first gathering. But, Bill... Before we get to the logistics of Better Angels, I want to zero in on this idea of asking a genuine question and then really listening to the answer. Because when I read the report from this first gathering, it took a while for people to get used to doing it, didn't it? Oh, a question of that is about understanding as opposed to a rhetorical question, that's very hard to do. Why is that so hard to do? Well, when we have really fixed, powerful opinions about the other side, uh, it's very hard not to just sort of set them up with, you know, like, how could you possibly believe such and such? Um, and so part of what we did at this this dialogue that we'll discuss here was to try to help people understand what a real question is. So you took voters from, what, southwestern Ohio, yes, right? Yes, You flew them to New York. No, no. We did it in Ohio. You did it in Ohio. Yes. Okay. Tell me what happened, how this was set up. Yeah. So the Better Angels project out of New York City um, had been actually doing some dialogues between different kinds of groups. So we did one uh, with uh, religious liberty uh, uh, advocates and uh, gay advocates, okay, around the the marriage stuff. So we had a little track record on this. Uh, And then David Blankenhorn, who is the director of Better Angels, and David Lapp, who lives in Southern Ohio, uh, came up with this idea of bringing together a, a group of Trump voters and a group of Hillary voters in December uh, to see if we could, if they could better understand one another, find areas, uh, uh, clarify differences, and see if there's some commonalities. One of the things that 
you did was, and I thought this was, this makes a lot of sense. You set goals for the gathering. And I think one of them that says, can we find commonalities even amid the differences is really important. So you were not saying don't express your differences here. You were saying at some point we are going to be, you know, alert here. We are going to be looking for some commonalities. How comfortable were people with that? Uh, They were okay with it. Uh, We asked the first question we asked is, why did you accept this crazy invitation? (laughs) What people to spend a weekend, Friday night, all day Saturday and Sunday (laughs) afternoon, okay? And uh, and for the most part, people said because we have to figure out a way to be together in community. We're so divided. So the, the people who came were not there to change their minds. Nobody did. Uh, but to see if we could understand each other so we could get along better. Wait a minute. When you say nobody's mind changed, because you were knocking down stereotypes, and yes. we're going to talk about that, and you yes. were encouraging people to express their stereotypes yes, and then trying to inform around that. Weren't some minds changed around yeah, that? Yeah, so I misstated. They, uh, what I mean is uh, the, the Trump folks didn't leave saying, why did I vote for him or vice versa with the Hillary people? So not, 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 nobody changed their political paradigm. Um, but but when we when people do listen to one another as human beings, uh, we all are influenced. I certainly was. How honest were people about the stereotypes that they walked into about the people who voted well, for somebody the else? The exercise we did was each group identified the stereotypes about themselves that they think are false. Yeah, uh, and then uh, and then they refuted them. As, I mean, this is kind of what we heard in that compilation of callers from the first night, right? right? People think I'm fill in the blank, and uh, I'm not. I'm racist. I'm xenophobic. Uh, the, the Clinton folks said they, they think we, uh, we only care about certain groups. You know, only Black Lives Matter. We don't care about anybody else. Uh, we, we don't care about business. We just as soon drive business out of the country. So each group, this was the first exercise, identified separately the, the false stereotypes about themselves and why they're false, and then presented the stereotype and the refutation of it to the other side. Let's see what our callers have to say. Let's go to Christopher in Tennessee. Hi, Christopher. I'm glad you're willing to uh, participate in our little experiment here. Tell me what the question is that you would ask that you would genuinely want the answer to. What is it? Thank you, first off, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, the, the question I would ask is, what made Hillary's statements or answers about her email server uh, so much more important than all of the misrepresentations that uh, Trump gave throughout the election and as president. Okay. Bill, did you get some of the what, what I hear Christopher saying there is there were a lot of accusations flying back and forth that the candidates had to answer. Why was such a big deal made about this in Hillary Clinton and not about Trump and some of his issues? Well, if uh, so, thanks to Christopher on this, what, what I would try to do is clean the question up a little bit. OK, how would you <clears throat> rephrase that? <clears throat> because he said, uh, you know, the one thing versus <laughs> all of the misrepresentations. So <laughs> right. sort of stack the deck. Right. You know, she had one little sin and he had many sins. Um, so I might, you know, if I were coaching him in the dialogue, I might coach him to say, uh, how do how does the other side, how do the Trump people weigh um, Hillary's um, uh, e- email uh, uh, laps uh, and various lapses um, of Donald Trump, um, and see what they do with it. That's a very neutral thing that you t- you're acknowledging that they both had some issues that they had to explain, and that voters attached a certain amount of seriousness to or not. 
but you turned that into kind of a neutral question. How? Uh, well, uh, by uh, by not loading it with uh, uh, with one side uh, small and the other huge, uh, because what that tends to do is is to get a defense. Like, no, I don't think he. See, what 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 I learned uh, that that the Trump people say he's he's not a politician and he's not smooth and he's not polished and he doesn't know all the facts sometimes. So they're forgiving of and some he, of yes, this stuff. Yes, yes, right. right. And we tend to forgive the the p- person that wears our colors. It's a confirmation bias, yes, right? Yes, exactly. So, so Hillary supporters say she was kind of incompetent technologically. And the other side see it as much more sinister and vice versa. How long did it take you? And, and again, we're going to hear from two of the better angels yeah. here in just a minute. But how long did it take you to get the people in the room accustomed to maybe rephrasing or genuinely asking the questions that they wanted to, that they wanted to hear an answer to? Day and a half. A day and a half. It's hard. Really? It's hard. Is it hard because you want to feel a certain kind of moral superiority? Oh, yeah. Isn't that it? That's a lovely way to say it. I mean, if I am passionate and everybody was there, people give up a weekend. They're passionate. Okay, these weren't the lazy, you know, like come easy, go easy, you yeah. know. Uh, and so we have a lot of steam built up behind our conviction. Uh, and so it makes it that much harder to really want to learn and to listen. People can get there. They can get there, but it doesn't happen easily. It also feels good when you can score a point, oh, yeah. right? And, and were people there to kind of score points? Well, of course. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's human nature. Uh, but we designed this in certain, a certain way that did not allow much of that. And, and yours truly squashed people when they tried. <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> well, I would just interrupt some. So, for example, <clears throat> after each side presented the, the negative stereotypes uh, and then said why they were not correct, the, the job of everybody after that was to say, what did you learn? What did you learn? Right. Not give a speech here, not refute what they said, what did you learn something? And if somebody started on an editorial, uh, I stopped them. I mean, they gave us permission. I mean, we, we, we said we had our ground rules and uh, we, we said, do, you know, do we have permission to stop you? And I, I did a number of times with hopefully with good, good humor. You're listening to Indivisible. We are we're taking the next step from our very first show where we talked about demonizing people who voted for someone else. Now, how do you have a coherent and maybe constructive conversation with someone else who voted for someone else where you're not just trying to score points. Better Angels actually did this. We're hearing about how they did it. And we'll talk with two of the Better Angels coming up. And I want to hear from you as well on this 844-745-8255-TALK. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible. Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and Indivisible comes to you on Thursday nights from Minnesota Public Radio when I talk about identity. Tonight, this is a conversation about a project called Better Angels and what happens 
when you get people in a room who aren't who, who voted for different people who aren't allowed to ambush each other and talk past each other, who really have to engage in a civil and constructive conversation. My guest, Bill Doherty, took place, took part in that and led it. He's a professor of social science at the U of M, a family therapist and the author of a lot of books, including Take Back Your Marriage. And we have two better angels who are going to join us here in just a minute. But I'm asking you, as you listen to this, as you join this discussion, what are the questions? Again, don't set this up as an ambush. Don't don't make a speech about this. I really want to hear the genuine question you would ask that you really want the answer to. Let's go to the phones to Jerry in North Carolina. And Jerry, you voted for Donald Trump. Is that right? Not only voted for him, I campaigned for him. Okay. Tell me what the genuine question is that you'd want to hear the answer to and that you would sit there and listen to. Uh, anyone who's willing to give me an honest listen, I'd be happy to give them an honest listen Fair as well. Enough. Number okay. one, I, I would I would like to know if somebody is well informed about the obfuscation, outright lies, disinformation that Ms. Clinton was caught in time and again over the years. <laughs> what is it about that candidate that was so very attractive, apart from gender, a so-so stint with uh, the State Department and a better stint as a U.S. senator, apart from... Okay, Jerry, 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 I, I'm hearing I'm hearing exactly what Bill said he tried to stop people from doing, which is making big, long statements. What is the actual question? you would ask. Who is the candidate? Why did you support her? Why were you attracted to okay. the candidate? Why All right, Bill, what, what do you hear in that? Yeah, so we did have people ask the question and answer the question, why did you support this candidate? So so, so Jerry is obviously passionate about this, uh, <laughs> and he set it up uh, to, you know, uh, so given that she's a degenerate, uh, what <laughs> what could possibly have attracted you to her? Right. And what this elicits is defensive. It's a conversation and stopper. Your guy is a lot it? worse. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. And so so that's why this is hard. This is really hard. Yeah. Um, let me go to Jessica in Boston. Hi, Jessica. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, my name is Jessica. I'm from Boston. I'm actually a hospital chaplain, so I'm trying really hard to wear my chaplain hat when I'm thinking of the question that I would like to ask. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and um, so I think I was, and I wanted, you know, I was trying really hard to think about how to phrase it. And I think it's just how do, um, as a, I was a Clinton supporter and so the Trump supporters, how do, especially the women, how do they um, make peace with the way that he, um, the, the accusations that have come out, the way that he's spoken about women, the way um, that the treatment of women how do they how did they make peace with that? How did they kind of overlook that? Or I don't really know the wording that I would use, but right. how do you, you know, how do you come to terms with that and still vote for someone? Jessica, I think this is the perfect question to bring in our two better angels on the show. So thank you very much. Good to have your call. Rebecca Leitner is with us. She participated in the Better Angels Project. She's in her late 20s. She's a small business owner. She supported President Trump and she's with us from Cincinnati. And Rebecca, welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Oh, thank you very much. Sajaya Woods is with us. She's in her late 20s. She works full time. She's studying accounting in college and she supported Hillary Clinton. And she is sitting right next to Rebecca Leitner in a studio in Kentucky. And Sajaya, welcome to you. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Okay, so I want to hear you heard what Jessica asked about how, given President Trump's 
some of his admitted some of the the news that came out about his views about women, which some of which he disavowed, how you felt comfortable in supporting Donald Trump around that. And Rebecca, let me come to you on that. When people asked you that in this in this Better Angels project, what could you say about that? Yeah, well, this is a question we didn't actually discuss so much directly, but uh, what came back in a lot of our discussions was we were really tending to look more at the actions because we do identify that Donald Trump does tend to say a lot of things. Um, but we tried to look more at that at the actions. The actions speak louder than words. And what we uh, what I saw um, as a woman and as a business owner um, that he is a huge advocate for women. Uh, he had a female uh, campaign manager, and that was the first time that that had ever happened. Um, some of his people that he hired for some of his big, big projects in the 60s were run by women, um, which was almost unheard of. Um, and then um, looking at his family, I mean, uh, his daughter Ivanka has a huge company, which he's essentially empowered her to have, um, which is unfortunate of how she's being attacked now. Um, but it's just like the way um, that he has empowered so many women around him. Um, well, yes, he's probably he said negative things about women that he should not have said. Um, I'm not condoning that behavior, but um, for the, the the women that he is supporting around him, I mean. I, I don't see how someone could just say outright say that he is 100 percent against women. Because okay. the, the actions don't seem to line up with that. I, I think what you said at the beginning is really important. And I've heard this a number of times. Bill, um, she, Rebecca said his actions speak louder than his words. In the in the first blush of this project, you can just see some of the Clinton supporters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. saying that doesn't mean anything. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. How do you get around to a place where people are willing to hear that? And, and mm-hmm. I actually thought Rebecca did a great job describing that. And and um, and, and hello, Rebecca, and hello, Sujaya. So, um, right. it, it, um, uh, it was a great question, and it made it easier for Rebecca to answer it. Okay, because it just was delivered up, um, and um, and so part of what we did in this process was uh, people could respond to questions like that. Right. And then there was nobody else allowed at that moment to just say, well, you're wrong. Right. To step back in right. and go, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Right, right. But, but Bill, some of this sounds like rationalization to people who didn't support that candidate. Oh, yes. you're just justifying that because right, right. you like all this other stuff yes. about it. Yeah, of course. So it's it's not that um, that people are going to necessarily agree. Uh, uh, people who don't like Trump are going to agree. But what she said was not irrational, right? I mean, I guess you, if, if you're really a partisan, um, it, it, was, um, it was a reasonable thing that somebody might disagree with. Now, I tell you where I go yeah, on these sorts of things go? is that I go to politicians who I have liked and I looked – I kind of excused like Bill Clinton, okay? He had a bad track record with women <clears throat> and I did not want to see him in peace. So, so I think that uh, we, when we fall in love with a politician <laughs> – it's like being in love, you know, romantically. Well, uh, there are flaws, but I'm going to look at the big picture, and this is a good person, and, and this is somebody who supports women. So, Jaya, one of the things that that happened in this Better Angels uh, meeting was that you were asked to talk about the stereotypes that you were aware of, uh, because you supported, in your case, Hillary Clinton, that were painful 
to you. Is that right? Yes. What What are some of the stereotypes that you think people believe about you that that you wish they didn't? Well, um, some of the stereotypes that they said um, that the Clinton supporters and myself put up was um, that we all were people that kind of wanted to like advocate for welfare and, and giving away free things and not work for it. Uh-huh. And we're all like, we're hardworking people. I'm like, I'm a mother of three small children under the age of eight. Um, I work, I go to school full time. Like I, I work my fingers to the bone. So I'm like, that could be um, nothing close to true for me. And, and that hurt. And, and so when you told that to other people in the room who perhaps walked into that room believing that, what was the reaction? What'd they say? I think that was one of the things that we actually found as a, a common ground. Um, we all felt that there was a need to work hard, and we all felt that, yes, there is a need for support systems for people, um, the food assistance and things like that. We all felt like we needed that safe cushion, but that the goal ultimately is to be hardworking Americans. Bill, I want to say something about shame here, mm-hmm. because I think that's also we talked about moral superiority, mm-hmm. but I think there's also the other side of that is shaming. Here's Tamara on Twitter who says her question would be, why weren't Trump's sexist, racist, misogynistic, xenophobic comments <laughs> a deal breaker for you? There's a big dollop of, again, kind of moral superiority and shame. Yeah. I, I know people believe this mm-hmm. wholeheartedly, but I it is also kind of a conversation ender, isn't it? Sure. And you may believe that about Donald Trump. The question is when you're in a dialogue with your fellow citizen, um, that is uh, not an invitation to a discussion. Why do we why do we care that we have these discussions? I mean, we could all just go our merry ways and believe no, we, what. No, we can't do no, that. We why? Can't. We have to. We have Indivisible to work together. would end for one thing. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, Think about those not? consequences. <laughs> um, but um, you know, and we have family members. Everybody, you you know, real political diversity in this country exists in extended families. Right? Is I that mean, right? We yeah. tend to be uh, you know working with people or you know the same kind of company or uh, friends. Okay, even places of worship. But you go out far enough in an extended family. These are relatives now. These are people that, you know, that uh, were there when you were born. Um, And uh, do we want to just, do we want to treat them as if they're idiots? Well, yes, some people people feel good about it, but you're saying you can't really live your life like that. I think think it's a mistake. In a bubble. I mean, there are some married couples. You do a lot of relationship counseling. There are married couples who are deeply divided yes. over this, yes. right? And yet yes. they want to maintain their marriage. Something bigger, something bigger. Uh, and so that's part of it is to say, what what do I most care about here? And my belief is, and this is part of what we did in Ohio, if you go to those larger values, um, like Sujay just said, uh, nobody in that room wanted people starving on the street. And Everybody in that room believed in the importance of hard work and uh, and a helping hand, not a handout. So everybody believed that. Rebecca, is this the first time, again, as a Trump supporter, that you've actually had to sit down and have this kind of conversation that would, you know, that was calm and actually constructive with people who voted for somebody else? 
Not for me personally. I'm pretty politically active in a lot of different uh, circles, um, and uh, I have a pretty diverse uh, surrounding, uh, especially in college. Um, there was a lot of different opinions in college, and just having reasonable discussions, knowing that none of us are going to go out and um, change the world necessarily about each of these, just having open discussion and listening to each other and hearing different perspectives was something that I was really exposed to a lot more in college, but a lot since too as okay. well. So Jaya, how about you? This was definitely a first for me. Um, definitely a first. Wouldn't be the last, uh, but I'm, I was excited and emotional. It, it, was, it was a lot, but I wouldn't change it. Was it emotional? Was it hard? Very much. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> were there some tears and red faces and people getting kind of ticked off? There were some tears, and I think I probably was the only person that walked out at one point. Is that right? What what persuaded mm-hmm. you to come back? Oh, um, honestly, both Clinton and Trump supporters at some point got up from their chairs and came and talked to me and brought me back to the room. And, and what did they say to persuade you? They were just saying that um, basically what was being said was not representative of everyone in that room and um, everyone didn't feel that way and and that I was welcome and they wanted me to participate. All right. Okay, so I'm asking you as you listen in and join into the conversation tonight about this Better Angels project, about the question that you would would genuinely want the answer to. And here's something else. I want to know if you are truly capable – of doing what Rebecca and Sajaya did. Could you do this? I mean, you heard from her, from Sajaya, how tough this got, how heated it got. Do you think do you think you're in a place where you could actually participate in something like this or or in your own circle of friends and family? To the phones here to John in Panama City, Florida. Hi, John. Hi, thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, my question is, um, this is actually for you, uh, in terms of the media themselves. Should journalists be uh, taking the same tact of phrasing questions that don't um, antagonize or stack the odds against a uh, particular candidate? Um, and if so, um, is that necessary? Uh, is, is it important for journalism to have that? Um, or should there be more of a balance uh, towards, uh, I guess, a camaraderie in terms of trying to not uh, – antagonize the opposition. Okay, so John, are you asking me about when I might be interviewing a politician or a candidate, or do you mean in general when I'm talking to voters? I'd say all. So whether it's a rhetorical question or a statement about a candidate, or if you're actually directly directly, uh, interviewing a candidate, is that criticism necessary in journalism, um, but not necessary in peer-to-peer citizen-to-citizen conversation. Yeah, okay, good question. Um, I I feel like uh, it's a different kind of standard when I'm interviewing a politician. Uh, I I think if the conversation has to get adversarial to get the answer, then then that's how it has to go. I buy into what Bill's here to talk about tonight, though, that you are, because I've experienced this myself, you are never going to get to a place where anybody is really listening and hey, that's part of my job, to encourage really engaged listening. If all you're doing is being adversarial with one another and shooting questions at each other, and I know how to do that, and a lot of people know how to do that, but but we're never going to get to a place where we can say, 
your friendship is still important to me, and I want to try to understand why you believe this. Does that make sense, Bill, yes, to it you? Yes, yes. Yes. <clears throat> so I distinguish. Some people, uh, uh, colleagues and others, sometimes think that I am making it all relative, you know, and meaning, each side each side is everybody's got flaws, everybody has strengths, and, you know, we should just be kumbaya. <clears throat> I, th- I believe that in the political sphere, uh, <clears throat> trenchant criticism it can be called for. Uh, I don't think contempt and 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 utterly personalizing. Okay, but I think that's there's a com- there's combat there. There's there's a combat of ideas. I was a debater in high school. Love that. Okay, <laughs> but in interpersonal relationships, um, that that tends to. Uh, create uh, animosity, misunderstanding, and further polarization. Let me grab a call here from Jennifer in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Jennifer, thanks for waiting. Hi. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, good to have you on the show. Tell me what you're thinking about here. Well, I am um, Muslim. I converted 14 years ago. Uh And my question would be, as a Muslim, not only as a citizen, um, how someone would be comfortable voting with someone who surrounds them with anti-Islamic, anti-Semitic, um, white nationalist kind of people, because that that's really worrisome. It may not be to the mainstream, but to us, our community is having a rough go of it now. Bill, what would you do with that? With that question. Well, so the the question has uh, a, a, a factual assumption in it that he has surrounded himself that his advisors are anti-Muslim, anti-Semitic, and white nationalists. And I think that um, uh, certainly Donald Trump would disagree with that, and I think many of his supporters uh, would say that he has not surrounded himself, his core advisors, with people who could be characterized that way. Um, I think that that would be be the pushback. Uh, On the other hand, Jennifer is raising an important issue that when those sorts of folks are attracted to you several layers out, What does that say? (laughs) You're listening to Indivisible. I'm Carrie Miller from Minnesota Public Radio tonight. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to Indivisible from Minnesota Public Radio. And on Thursdays, I talk about polarization and American identity. And tonight we're discussing the hard work of actually talking with and listening to people who are your political opposites. Bill Doherty is here with me from the University of Minnesota. Rebecca Leitner and Sajaya Woods participated in the Better Angels Project, where they came together in southern Ohio as people who voted for opposites. It was a group of 21 people total, Bill. Uh, And they worked through a weekend of actually listening to and talking with one another. Rebecca, were there moments when you wanted to walk out of the room like Sajaya did? Not quite. I couldn't. um, I think it was about what I expected, but I was surprised at the beginning how intense it was. Um, And there was a lot of emotions in the room. And it was, it was, 
great to see that kind of transform over the course of the weekend. So did you walk out at the end of this weekend thinking that you understood Clinton supporters better, uh, you know, feeling like, well, I, I could never agree with that, but I, you know, I could be friends with some of these people or now now I have a better insight into why they think the way they did? Oh, totally. I can be friends with, I mean, nice people in general, <laughs> and you don't have to agree with me on everything. Um, but uh, yeah, it was good and insightful. Some of the questions that were asked were, uh, for instance, what are some of your concerns about the candidate that you supported? So us as Trump supporters had to answer that, and the Clinton supporters had to answer what were our concerns. And it was bo- it was great for both sides to kind of hear that even for our own candidate, we had concerns. Um, so it was interesting, interesting to me to for me to hear Clinton supporters say, yeah, she wasn't all that inspirational for me, or Hmm. she kind of took, um, she kind of expected to win a little bit too much, and she underestimated her opponent, and those were things she shouldn't have done. Um, And those are just great insights for me to just hear, because I didn't think that that was maybe possible for someone who was such a fan of Clinton to actually hold that position. You know, that that seems like a really important thing, Bill. I, I hear Rebecca saying people showed vulnerability, even it isn't I'm an absolutist and it was always this candidate and I had no doubts. Why is it important to actually... As Rebecca is saying, hear someone else express doubts about somebody they supported. Because otherwise, if we're all puffed up, you know, my, mine is perfect and yours is terrible. <laughs> so this occurred in an exercise we call a fishbowl exercise, where in the middle uh, circle, uh, we started with the uh, Clinton folks and the Trump uh, uh, people were in chairs around them. And the job of the, of the people in the outside circle was to listen and learn. And then we switched and the two main questions were, why did you support your candidate? Why do you think they'd be good for the country? And then what are your reservations or concerns ah, about your candidate? Okay. okay, so and you could feel the pressure go out of the room when when people said that. So when I asked, uh, what are your reservations and concerns? The uh, one of the Trump people said immediately, well, Trump is a jerk as a human being. <laughs> okay, But I think he's got good ideas and we need somebody. Who, well, you could just, OK, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Or, or and your, humor important uh, in yeah, that moment. Uh, Right. And as Rebecca was saying, none, nobody defended some of his comments about women on that, that bus ride. Okay, and this, people said he's got to he's got to be start to learn to be more presidential. Okay, and it really helps. It's showing some vulnerability about one's own side. Eight four four seven four five eight two five five to talk to me about whether you've actually done this. You're practicing this in your family and your circle of friends. Very busy phone lines here. You can also find me on Twitter. It's at Carrie K E R R I. MPR, use the hashtag Indivisible Radio. And to the phones here to Michael in Arlington, Virginia. Michael, it sounds like you're in a mixed marriage. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this. You voted for who and your your partner voted for who? I voted for Hillary and my partner voted for Trump, even though what she says is she voted against Hillary. Okay. She was a Rubio supporter at the start. Um, but but is a, a conservative. And we knew this about each other going into the marriage. It wasn't a surprise to me. But what was a surprise was that she did actually vote for Trump because, you know, a lot of people agree Trump is kind of a new item, he, you know, a, a new form of politician. And I'm not going to lie that it it got heated at times and it got hard for a while. But we agreed that 
Hillary Clinton is not at our dinner table and Donald Trump is not at our dinner table. And we're not going to invite them to our dinner table. Because <laughs> my question, um, you know, we're, we're going through these series of questions. And my question to an, another human, another person, knowing their politics and knowing where they stand, can you see them as a person who will love you or could love you or could care about you in, in that personal capacity? Mm-hmm. Because that's what's, you know, that's what's really most important. People are heated about politics. People get heated about sports. But who wins the Super Bowl does not affect your marriage. <laughs> or shouldn't affect your marriage. And who wins an election really shouldn't affect your marriage and your family and those relationships you have with other people. And it isn't easy, but I think it's very important. Boy, you two sound so smart. I'm looking at the marriage therapist here, and he is, like, giving you the big thumbs up on this. Do you hear – they are practicing some really wise interaction there, Bill. Yes, to to accept differences, to not ignore it. He said they had heated conversations because unlike sports, there are values involved here. Um, and um, there are a lot of couples who are not able to do what they're doing. The other thing I say, in addition to identifying what's most important in the relationship, is looking for some of these, like I call superordinate values. So you, you go up high enough in the values, and yeah. there's, there, there is some commonality. Many political disagreements are about the means. Meaning what? The means that we don't want people starving on the street. We want people to be taken care of, have have adequate health care. Is it more market-driven? Is it more government-driven? Should it be local charities? That's where the divisions tend to be. Okay. So, Michael, are you still there? Or did we – we might have lost him. Okay, Michael. So um, how would you say – is the marriage – because you went through these difficult times, and you said at times it got heated. Tell me what the marriage is like on the other side of the election. Well, it's it's hard for me not to make a point when something I find, you know, particularly <laughs> interesting or, or, you know, maybe even offensive or, you know, something that the pundits are poking fun at. It's hard for me not to chime in. Like, you know, we've been talking about there's some of this moral support, uh, superiority. I feel like, you know, I, I've won or I have a good I have a, a you know an arrow in my quiver and. It's, it's, it's very difficult for me to remember, you know, there, there's no benefit to, to addressing that. The only benefit would be make myself feel better at the expense of my relationship. Wow, so wise. Wow. Really good. I'm really glad you heard the show and you called in, Michael. Um, now I want to go to our better angels and ask if, if beyond the project... Sajaya, you think you could be married to somebody who voted differently than you do? What do you think? Well, I think that is a challenging question. I think that answer lies on kind of the the points that we got into in the meeting. Like, you know, what was your reason for voting for them? So I wouldn't be opposed to marrying someone who voted opposite of me um, purely because they voted opposite of me, but probably purely based on the reasons. Um, there were obviously, like we said, there were some things that we went into there believing about the opposite voter, and those are the things that we needed to clarify and understand and um, basically, you know, explain why those stereotypes don't fit us. So for me, um, Having gone in there, I would have had to understand and and kind of 
question those things and you know what, determine. You know what I'm curious about, Sajaya, is whether you've you've and and I'll put this to Rebecca too. Whether you two have carried the message of this experience through this project out to your circle of friends and family who believe as you do. I mean, do you find yourself now in conversations where you say, well, you might think that about the Trump voter, the Clinton voter, but I'm kind of here to tell you that this. So, Jay, have you had an experience like that? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. I've had I've had several times where um, obviously every day you turn on the TV and it's something about Trump and I've heard some really harsh things said and leaving our gathering, I consider some of the Trump supporters my friends now. So I found myself saying, hey, listen, I don't agree with this, but there are people who have real reasons that affect their lives, you know, for, for why they voted for him. That's beyond what you're looking at right now. Rebecca, how about you? Yeah, with um, well, you kind of asked two questions. So, which one? Did we, I guess I'm asking whether whether you have carried the message from the experience of this project out and and had conversations with people where you say it might not be what you think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, this was interesting because after I kind of warmed up to the i to the idea of Trump as being our president, but once I was behind him, I actually went to the inauguration. And wow. when I was there, I actually stayed for the Women's March. Um, so I saw a lot of differences um, being there for both of those events back to back. And and I reflected on our experience in our Better Angels project. And I was like, wow, what if these groups were to listen to each other? Um, because th- there is a lot of common goals, um, but a lot of the values and the ways that we want to get there are different. Um, For instance, I mean, women's rights comes up all the time now. And it's like, it sounds like one side is against women and the other side's for women, (laughs) if you were listening to the media. But that's that's not the case. (laughs) Um, But it's just, uh, it's, it's all sorts of feeding the same ideas that we have is closing us down from connecting and working better together. Bill, we do have to say something about the media here. Um, and and Rebecca's got it. I, I know that if seen through the lens mm-hmm. of the media, it is often one side believes this and one and never the twain shall meet. We that, are we contribute to this polarization, absolutely, don't we? Absolutely. And in the last uh, conversation we had in Ohio, where the the question was, what what are you taking with you? And uh, several people said that they realized that if we just listen to the media, we will stereotype our fellow our neighbors and our fellow citizens, and we got past the stereotypes. And nobody changed their mind about who they supported, but the, but those are media-fed stereotypes. So that if there's a Trump rally, rally they're, they're not interviewing Rebecca, <laughs> okay? They're interviewing somebody who is screaming, uh, you know, and is hostile. That's who they're interviewing. I love it that Rebecca went to the inauguration and yeah. the Women's March. Yeah. Wow, so interesting. And then I actually followed that up and went to the March for Life, which was the following week, which wow. was more pro-life march. So I was there for a good bit. <laughs> you are a better angel, aren't you? Uh, I want to take two calls back to back here. First to Moomin in Columbus, Ohio. Hi, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yes, my name is Moumin Egal, and I am a Somalian-American and Muslim. Uh-huh. And um, I recently moved here in Columbus from Seattle, Washington. 
And um, just a few days before the inauguration, I was just uh, shopping around at a local store in Columbus, and uh, there was a gentleman <clears throat> standing on the uh, the other side of the aisle who just said, hey, you know, I'm just coming to the inauguration. Uh, can you help me and just, you know, see if this jacket is is the right jacket for me? So <laughs> a little strange for me. Um, so I said, you know, I give him my... Uh, my uh, my taste on his jacket and my view about it and uh, and kind of like went along and we had a good conversation uh, conversation about why he voted for Trump and <laughs> wow. um, he, even though he didn't ask me what who I voted for but we just kind of like you know went along and um, I I basically put a lot of questions to him even though we were like complete strangers to each other and. He asked me same, you know, asked me other questions about myself and you know other things like that. So it was very interesting. This is excellent. To basically, yeah, just to basically have a great conversation uh, with with respect and basically, you know, understanding from from you know both sides. So it, it was very, uh, it was first time that I kind of felt like okay, well, I'm put on the spot and this maybe you know. It, it was a test. I, I love it, Moomin, that you bonded over tailoring and clothes. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I appreciate the call to Matt in Pennsylvania. Hey, Matt, so you voted for Donald Trump. Yep, that I did. And, and uh, the question, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, so the question that I have is, and this is coming more from a, a younger generation perspective. I'm only 19. Uh a lot of the, the, the people that I know that are in college, a lot of my friends that are in college, I can't even bring up the fact that I remotely support Trump because of the hostility that comes my way. Now, there are very good friends of mine. We'll sit down. We'll have a great conversation. We don't let that get in, in between us. But I want to know if, if that sort of hostility that I've met, uh, even amongst people that know me for who I am, mm-hmm. uh, is present going the other way as well. And then maybe what to do about that, right? Exactly, exactly. Because the the, the conversation, you know, if, if I'm talking with a good friend, we'll be going through everything and anything on that day's topic. And if there's a, a new piece of information that he has that I've never heard about, we're immediately discussing it, right. its merits, uh, where it downfalls, and we're trying to find a comparison from another point of view. Good. And we're forming our own idea in that regard. Okay. Um, and I just want to know if that's happening more amongst you know, people my age, whereas I'm personally not seeing it. Okay, uh, good good question, Matt. Thanks very much. Bill, what do you think? Well, w- what I'm hearing is a lot of, a lot of negativity going towards Trump um, supporters uh, from, um, from liberals. Um, uh, j- just as there was so much stuff, you know, crooked Hillary and send her to jail and that kind of thing, um, uh, there's just a huge backlash and uh, families are being disrupted, friendships are being disrupted. Uh, and I think it's really very – I think the suffering now is is different, The that many of the Hillary supporters are uh, – well, some immigrants, uh, minorities, others who feel genuinely afraid, uh, Jews now with, with the anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are others who feel like the, the values that they believed that our country was, was striving for uh, are, are now crumbling. Uh, so deep, deep uh, trouble, troubling feelings. Uh, the, uh, the the Trump supporters that I hear from are getting 
this kind of hostility, this sort of stereotyping. So the, the kind of projection of everything people hate about Trump onto people who support him. So they have to walk around with all of that on their shoulders. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's bad for the country. This is why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Although, Rebecca, you sound surprisingly resilient. For all of what (laughs) what Bill just said. Hey, thank you both so much for for being part of the conversation tonight. Really great to have you. And I love it that you're sitting in a studio right next to each other. So thank you. Of course. We like each other. (laughs) Believe it or not, we hugged when we saw each other. Did you? (laughs) All right. And it's so so good to hear your voices again, guys. Yeah, good to hear from you too. Rebecca Sajaya, thank you very much. Uh, Bill, I I have about a minute. What's next for the Better Angels Project? Well, we're going to have a reunion of that group. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to have a reunion on a Saturday night in April. And, and we want to have a conversation about what's happened to the country since. Okay. And what people are hearing in their circles. So some of what we did here. We're hoping to uh, – we're planning to do another one of these uh, uh, dialogues in Ohio. And this time filmed for a documentary. Ah. And okay. So, we're so how so, do you sign up if you want to be part of this? Well. <laughs> no. You're going out to find people. Yeah. Uh, right. David Lapp is, is finding them. And then the other thing, Better Angels is really wanting to have simpler versions of this. So, for instance, I've created a two-hour simple version, okay, an introductory. So we want to develop a kind of curriculum for people around the country to try out smaller versions of this dialogue. You are doing good work, Bill. Really good to have you. Thank you. Bill Doherty with us from the University of Minnesota. And uh, and with some, some tips there, if you want to practice the Better Angels regimen here in your own family, and your circle of friends, let us know how it's going. I want to hear whether you're able to pull this off. You can tweet me at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio. And this is Indivisible. I'm Carrie Miller. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.